Hey, it's Brandon Laws, your host of Transform Your Workplace. Welcome to the show. Hopefully, welcome back to most of you. And if you're listening for the first time, thank you so much for the support and for giving us a try. If you love what you hear today, make sure to hit that subscribe button on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or Spotify, wherever you listen. We're, we're everywhere for the most part. I think today, um, you know, it's a, it's a special episode today. So we've talked about diversity, equity, and inclusion in the past, pretty much at a high level. Like, why do we need to do it? Why is it important? How to do it? All that stuff. I mean, we really, in this episode, um, get into the nitty gritty details of how. So I have Katie Zink on the episode today. She's an expert in diversity, equity, equity and inclusion strategies and implementing these programs in our organizations. And so we, we dive in to all the details about who's part of a committee, who do you bring in from the outside, all of the, those details and the questions that you probably have, because I know I have them. It seems like there's no perfect approach, but Katie's is pretty spot on from, from what I can tell. It seems like it'd be very effective. One of the most important questions I think I asked her it's later on in the podcast is, you know, if you could impose your will on any employer to create like the perfect diversity program, diversity, equity, inclusion, that is, what would you do? And I loved hearing her answer. So I think like the episode for that alone is probably worth it. Enjoy today's episode. We'll talk to you next week. Thanks for tuning in. Hey, Katie, it's a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Thanks for coming on. Hey, Brandon. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. So we're going to talk about diversity, equity, inclusion today. You know, often I hear that organizations are, you know, forming their own DEI committee. And I'm curious, you know, from your perspective, since you're in this space, What's the way to do this effectively without it really fizzling now? Because I imagine, you know, committee members are, are volunteer <laughs> employees. They're not paid for that particular role. They're sort of brought in from different functions in the organization to form this DEI committee. And I imagine that sometimes these could just fizzle out because of the fact that they have other jobs. So from your perspective, how do we make this work? It's a great question. And I imagine this is something that's on many people's minds nowadays. And folks that have been involved in this work for many years, even before this sort of turning point, have also been feeling this struggle. So, and it's a reality, right? I think that what needs to be understood is that there's going to be flare-ups, there's going to be frustration. This work isn't always the most quantifiable, because we literally are interrupting the status quo that's just been business as usual for so long. And, you know, our operations, our businesses are just riddled with systems and practices and procedures that by design aren't really made to be disrupted. So I do want to just validate kind of what you're feeling, perhaps what others out there, listeners are feeling, hopefully get some guidance or some reassurance that they can do this work. I want to reassure you that you can. It's just there's so many things to consider and so many things that just need to be kind of at play while you're doing it. Because it can feel frustrating, especially in the beginning, if maybe you don't have a plan 
you don't have metrics or metrics that you feel like are the right metrics to do this work. So what I can talk about today is a few ways that you can measure a success of a coalition or a committee, you know, once you've gathered the people, once you've been able to crowdsource folks that are taking an interest and ready to step up, because, you know, a large degree, it will be voluntary. In my experience, I've seen, you know, smaller committees, larger groups. I've seen ERGs that are issue-based, that are very specific. I've seen department-specific teams. And it can look at so many different ways. There's not really one right way, but there are some guidelines that I can share to help you set up your metrics, set up kind of your plan for moving forward, and then help you balance, you know, obviously your full-time jobs on top of that. Another way to think about it too is that it's not necessarily on top of extracurricular or extra. We need to shift our thinking that it's intrinsic to how we're doing business, the anti-racism, the equity, inclusion, the culture. You know, that's all intrinsic to why we're showing up there every day. So I hope that kind of helps set things up. And- yeah, totally. I love what you said about it. Like it's not just an extracurricular thing. It should be ingrained in the culture, really. It's a part of doing business, as you said. So I love right. that. Right. What, what can uh, be hard? Oh, yeah. What can be hard sometimes is kind of knowing if it's really more of a top-down or bottom-up sort of approach. We hear that leadership just had to be on board. There's got to be that representation in leadership for companies to be seen, you know, like they're making progress. But one more thing I could say there is that so much kind of needs to happen really up until you get to that point. Where does this need to start? Because we jumped in talking about committees. You just said like leadership needs to be bought in. Like, is it a top-down approach? And I'm actually really curious your take on like bringing in external partners for this work as well, because everybody's starting from a different place. Sometimes you need help from the outside. So where does this all start? Mm -hmm. Great question. So like you said, everyone's kind of in a different place. There's always sort of a spectrum where this work lands, starts from and moves forward. In my opinion, I believe that if your CEO, if executive leadership are still kind of stuck on expecting a business case or evidence that it's needed in the organization, they aren't really seeing that or getting that yet. That's kind of where you know where you need to start. Leadership really does need to have that sort of shining North Star of a voice to rally everybody and establish then the buy-in across the board and implement it into your company strategy as one of your pillar strategies. I was having a conversation with a good friend of mine and a mentor, and we were talking about just that recently, you know, a few weeks ago, that beyond the business case, what's more important is the case for visible CEO or executive backing or buy-in. So that's kind of where everyone needs to start. You won't really get very far in this work if you don't have that buy-in, because ultimately it will be on everyone to make sure the culture is as inclusive and equitable as it needs to be to have that sustainable commitment to DEI. So it really does start there at the top. And one thing I like to say, one thing I've heard kind of in the space from other practitioners too, is that strategy happens at the top. And as long as there's that crisp like strategy where we're all in this, this is how we do things here, then implementation can sort of fall to specific hiring teams, specific departments to implement in a way that works for them. So it doesn't have to be a prescriptive approach, but it does need to have a crisp strategy at the top to allow for space for individual teams and groups to implement like they want. 
And so in terms of where a committee starts, I would say that, you know, ideally, I could picture a VP or an executive, ideally, the CEO has a call to action that, hey, we're ready to put the groundwork in and start here. So we're accepting interest for folks who'd like to join this coalition. And we'll open a leadership position. It's open to everyone. It doesn't matter how familiar you are with some of these things, some of these topics. We want everybody and anybody involved, and we'll make it worth your while. We're going to come together and make that plan. We're going to define our success metrics all together and honor the fact that this is just another priority in terms of a lot of priorities, but it does need to be up there. So in my opinion, the CEO needs to kind of make that call to gather the teams, gather individual contributors, managers, hiring managers specifically. Those are really important members of these coalitions and committees. And then just start meeting. And then you mentioned earlier, you know, it can be helpful to bring in external help, external expertise, consultants, what have you. That can be a really great key as well to making sure that all the moving parts, the projects, the programs you'll build from there, are focused, are measurable, everyone, you know, nothing slips through the cracks, and there's management there. So for example, something that I do with my clients is just that I can come in and help guide that strategy, share recommendations, share considerations, and then track their progress along the way, so that folks can come in and participate. And then they can trust that this is being owned by somebody who's managing all the details as well, and keeps everybody on track in a sustainable way. You said the strategy starts at the top, and I would be very concerned for those businesses that don't see DEI as a true business strategy, because I think this is what employees want. I think this actually will make you a more successful business long term by having a diverse group. And those that aren't bought in, I mean, this podcast is really for them (laughs) in really setting this up because I mean, those are my beliefs. I'm sure you believe that too, to some extent. What are your thoughts there on just a true business strategy being this DEI work? Mm -hmm. In terms of why it is an an intrinsic to the the success of the business? Yeah, like why should a business see this as a true business strategy and their success is dependent on it? Mm -hmm. The business will just continue to be less relevant over time. You know, if there's no visible engagement, any firm stance taken, especially now. I think that companies are under a large, really intense degree of scrutiny to be able to demonstrate these plans. Moving forward, they're not going to be able to attract, you know, top talent. They're definitely not going to be able to attract diverse talent. And moving forward, I mean, we're reaching this point where they say in 2045, the white majority will no longer be the majority. We'll be shifting to different races, different backgrounds, different cultures will be merging forward and actually becoming the majority. That a projective census data is sharing that. That whites won't always be the majority. And so we're going to need to figure out how to coexist in diverse workspaces and just not prioritizing at all. It's just that's just become unacceptable at this point. And in terms of thinking about your reach too, I mean, CEOs can understand they want to reach as many demographics as possible. Just operating from homogenous state just really won't allow you to do that from an accessibility standpoint, from a messaging standpoint, if you're just going to narrow your focus and remain doing the same thing you've done, you're really just doing a disservice to the community you're a part of and, you know, from a global sense. So from a product standpoint, you've got to have diverse minds and backgrounds working on these solutions that you're trying to put out there to ideally help people and just be able to adapt to the world at large and where it's all going. We've reached a place where 
you just cannot stay neutral on these issues. And the companies that do, maybe the leaders that do, they really won't be able to escape that for much longer. Yeah, good points. I imagine that a lot of us as individuals and even as organizations are all really starting at a different spot when it comes to diversity, equity, inclusion work. And specifically when it comes to like the implicit bias that a lot of us have, are there assessments or any way to measure where we're at? Because some folks may be further along in this process. And you know, when you start this work, you'd hate to start at the very beginning when maybe your group is a little further ahead. Like, you know, when you come in to an organization and start doing this work, how do you assess where everybody's at in their minds as individuals, as a group? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a big job. Having a thoughtful assessment process is really, really important. I see other solution providers, you know, DEI vendors, so to speak, practitioners, their whole offering is just that, you know, they'll offer say a three month, really robust kind of assessment process that includes surveys and focus groups, and things like that. And so many organizations, even locally here in Portland, that offer sort of self-assessment tools uh, that companies can do. I've been a part of companies that sort of, they call it like an employee climate assessment, where they just measure sort of the climate and how people are feeling, you know, coming to work every day, they feeling like they're supported, they feel like they're wanted there, and they have that sense of belonging. There's a lot of ways to do it in terms of an assessment, in terms of, you know, if you're asking specifically about people's familiarity with equity and inclusion topics, things like mm-hmm. implicit bias. There are tests out there. Harvard released an implicit bias test that has been around for a really long time. And there isn't necessarily a major competitor or too many options out there, but that's a free test that anybody can go out there, Google you know, implicit bias test, and it'll come right up. And you can take all sorts of different subject matter tests based on if it's race or gender or ability any sort of identity, you can actually go in and take that test, which is a really nice tool to go in there and just understand your own bias. But there's just countless books out there, countless thought leaders that are discussing these topics. So you can become slowly more aware and aware of your own biases and just bring those to the forefront and become more conscious of them. What's interesting, though, is that especially in the space now that's moving so rapidly, We are seeing a lot of conversation around why anti-bias or implicit bias trainings just aren't really working anymore. They're not really having the effect that maybe we once thought they would. And that doesn't negate that bias. We still need to work to dismantle our own biases. But doing these kind of structured trainings, you know, during people's (laughs) workday, we're kind of left to wonder if that is working. And many people believe that it's not. But what I can quickly share in terms of assessing and kind of measuring actions that companies can take to what I like to say, you know, create a culture where everyone can thrive. And I've got a thing that folks can download. I've got a free guide on my site that if listeners would like to uh, download it and read it in full, I can share a little bit where they can find that. But essentially, it's five ways to measure what I like to say collective success in organizational culture. So I propose that there's five different ways to think about culture in your organization. So the first one is perceptive, and that's thinking about how employee experiences are perceived. So it's so important for employees to show up every day feeling like they have access and like they can fully participate and bring their whole selves to work. You know, that's a phrase, that's a concept that you hear a lot in this work is, you know, people need a reason to bring their whole selves to work and indicating their true identity and their truest self. And if they believe they can find common ground with others. So the first one, perceptive, just kind of on a high level snapshot, 
those are actions you can take to ensure that people feel like they can bring their whole selves to work, like they can access opportunities equally, like they have a voice and like they want to be participating. The second one is performance. So we can look at things like pay equity and ensuring there's opportunities to grow throughout. And there's a clear track for people to identify first their own versions of success. I'm of the belief that everyone has their own version of success. And it's, you know, say a hiring manager or a manager of a team's job to help that individual contributor, that person reach that. So there are certain things you can do, certain tactics from a performance standpoint to help in the culture. And then it goes on from there. Strategic is the next one. That's where you talk about your business plan. So you mentioned earlier, what are the indicators of a strong business strategy? Why does that include DEI? So for example, you know, DEI really needs to appear in the company's mission and there needs to be transparency around the actions that are being taken. So, you know, they're not the sexiest actions. They're not like the big visibility, like, oh my gosh, like we've made this grandiose hire or these huge programs or invite these top level speakers to come to our company. It doesn't have to be like that. In fact, the most effective things are those structural changes that are just kind of the devil in the details. Things like your hiring processes, maybe some training components that are required. And the sky's the limit with people that you can bring in, experts you can bring in to help you really flesh out what it would look like for your business. And then the fourth is a pervasive measure of success. So this is about the day-to-day lived experience. Have you ever felt like you've worked at a company where they express like, this is our culture, this is what we're all about. These are our values. But it's not necessarily operationalized or the lived culture. So it's really important to do things that result in that pervasive day-to-day experience. Because you might hear pervasive use in the sense of, well, that's what it's like to experience a microaggression. You know, I show up, I know I'm probably going to get interrupted in a meeting, or I know that I'm going to be doled out these tasks that aren't really my job. They're more administrative. Those things really amount up over time. And then the last one is responsive, which I really developed recently with COVID going on and the racial inequities that are really like coming to the surface for a lot of folks right now. And layoffs, you know, thinking about how is your company showing up in the community and how are they listening to and applying feedback that they're getting? It's so annoying when a company spends a lot of time, when you mentioned earlier, assessing what's a good way to do that. It's great if you're assessing, but if you're not applying that feedback in any sense, especially if you're trying to ask for feedback from your employees of color, that's one way to discourage them from staying if their feedback doesn't show up later, so to speak. And then, you know, the other thing about responsive that I think is really important is just if your company is going through a layoff or a massive change like that, you know, there's so much change management needed right now just to show that your company is being responsive to what's happening and responding to the external world like humans. I just think it's really important. So there's a very quick sort of rundown of my five measures that can be read in more detail in my guide. But I hope that is helpful in terms of thinking about like five areas of culture that the kinds of actions, the categories of actions that can be taken. And I also offer very measurable tactics to track growth when companies start using these. I love that. It, you said a little bit ago that, you know, experts like yourself in the DEI space, maybe even employers are really starting to poke holes in whether or not kind of once a year DEI training is actually working or not. And it's interesting because, you know, being in the HR space that I am, employers are doing this with like performance management too, where they're like, okay, I don't know if like the once a year review and then 
a whole year goes by and then we address it again. If the check-in really works like that and DEI is the same way. It's like once a year, is that really, or once every couple of years, is that really doing any work? You need to have it super ingrained in the culture. It needs to be an ongoing conversation. It needs to be touched on a regular basis and at the forefront of your mind. Because if too much time goes by, it's not relevant. And I think people are starting to realize with DEI work, it's an ongoing thing. It's not just a check the box once a year thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You said it perfectly. And that's what the pervasive kind of element that brings for me. It must be a pervasive experience. And I've been kind of writing and researching, especially this month, about team culture. And that's where you really know that your efforts are really working and manifesting. Is that the people that show up every day, they know that they're going to have a certain kind of experience. And they know that their perspective will be encouraged, respected, and appreciated. And so it's true. I mean, and you hear a lot about the check the box approach. So what does that mean? Will one like company offsite do it? Definitely not. Will one implicit bias training, you know, solve this? Definitely not. If you can't think of it as like, okay, we're running down this list, we're checking all these things. That's why I like to think about this work as I'm programming. So a lot of companies have adopted this already. They've created program leads or program managers that essentially they're churning out or creating all these programs that are sustainable, that people can come in, work on them periodically, work on pieces of them, and then maybe cycle out. New people can come in and support. So it feels equitable across the board, but there's a sustainable structure that's already there. Because yeah, it won't just be one offsite, one training here and there sporadically. It does need to be actually embedded into the vision of the company. And the values need to match and complement each other. The values of the company and you know what they hope to get out of their DEI programs, if that makes sense. Yeah. If you could impose your will on every employer out there, what would the perfect long-term strategy for DEI be with an organization? So not the once a year training, but like an ongoing long-term approach and you get to force employers to adopt this, what is it? (laughs) (laughs) Wow, what an opportunity to just say it. That's a very cool question. Well, what I can say is that it's all very context-specific, of course, but the perfect strategy, it would look like some building blocks and it would look like building in a lot of different experts. That's the other thing. You wouldn't want to just bring in one person, expect them to just have that silver bullet for you. What you would want to do is... Gather everybody who you know will be able to help work on this. Select kind of your first consultant or the expert that will help you kind of get started if you're brand new. What I found is that there's so many different specialties of experts and consultants out there. Some call themselves trainers, educators, strategists, facilitators. There's a lot of words floating around. And, you know, ideally we'll do something a little bit different. And so it's perfectly acceptable to maybe start with somebody who will just help you create your very first plan. And what that would look like, I would say, is your first one-year strategy. So That's a great idea. So yeah, thinking about a five-year plan or a three-year plan, you know, as we're... Too far out. Now, yeah, it's way too far out. Language is evolving. Concepts are evolving. People's consciousness is evolving, which is a good thing. So the first-year plan, I feel like it's just a very realistic, tangible timeline you know, gather everyone who's going to work on this. There will be at least a few executive sponsors. You know, if the CEO can join on these conversations, that's ideal. You'll come together and you'll kind of get clear on your priorities and assess the needs, kind of like we were talking before. And right now I'm actually running through, you know, my planning 
my process that I work with clients on when they bring me in in the beginning, because I am one of those strategists who can come in at that early on point and really walk them through a very simple kind of strategic planning process. They'll come in or we'll, we'll all join in together. We'll get our vision set. We'll do like a vision setting exercise of what we want it to look like from a year from now. And then we'll work backwards from that. And then from there, we create you know a code of conduct or we make agreements for how the stakeholders or the coalition participants will operate and support each other. And then, you know, we'll, of course, set goals. So maybe we will have run a survey out or some focus groups, whatever sort of assessment exercise works best for the company. I would essentially help them design the right questions to ask to kind of gauge the familiarity, what you were kind of asking or we touched on before. And then using those results, we'll establish our first goals. So you know, the time span will be in, in the first year, where do you want to be going? What are some measurable goals we can implement? And maybe those will look like specific to the culture. So specific kind of procedures, new hiring practices. Can we get all hiring managers kind of enrolled in this cohort where they're all learning together and evolving together on the right ways to be making hiring and interviewing decisions? And then education. So education will be really important. And say you are working with me, I would suggest bringing in you know, a racial equity expert who has that lived experience into the conversation and then target that very specific topic, say it's anti-racism, you know, whatever it may be based on the needs of the survey, bringing in other experts to weave in along the strategy. And then what's another huge piece is the communication plan, which needs to happen very early. You know, ideally, everyone in the organization will be fully aware of the strategy, of the plan and the timeline. And so you'll have a very robust communication plan that you'll roll out and then you'll touch on at all your company meetings, your all hands meetings, and there'll be at least a brief update portion every time the company is together. So everyone will be you know, in the loop, so to speak. And there'll be a lot of brainstorming. So there'll be a lot of new ideas for programs that are aligned with the goals. You know, maybe it's like a lunch and learn program where you chart out for the whole several quarters ahead who you want to bring in to do a, a training. You want to decide details like, is this going to be required? Is this going to be optional? Sort of, you know, little nuances like that. And you'll want to kind of chart out which topics you want to focus on that first year. Otherwise, you could do new programs around ERG specifically. So those are a really great way to enhance kind of the perceptive measures of success in your organization. If new hires come in, say it's a Black employee, say it's somebody from the LGBTQ community, and they want to find people they have common ground with, it's really nice to be able to offer, oh, yes, we have this ERG, you know, and you can get to know people really well there. And I find that probably in the time of COVID, those are just more important than ever. So, I mean, the sky is the limit for all the different types of programs that can be implemented and rolled out. And so my recommendation would be just start with the first year and then build in sort of check-ins maybe quarterly along the way. And then just know that when you reach the end of that year, you have to keep it moving. Then the next, it's time to plan for the next year and the next year as things fall. Thanks for laying all that out. I know I put you on the spot there with like the perfect program. That's a lot uh, to digest. (laughs) And you know, like the thing that always comes up in my mind is like, who owns this or who leads it? Because it's a lot of work. And I think for the common leader, they're like, HR person, you go like to own this, go. And I don't know if that's fair. Is that fair that HR should be, you know, leading and being an owner of the DEI or is it owned by all the leaders? Mm -hmm. It's a really good point. 
I personally do not think it's fair to add this on top of HR's you know, functions, roles, and responsibilities. I mean, it's easy to make that connection that HR, you know, manages the culture aspects of the job and employee experience for sure. However, you know, this work applies an entirely new lens that somebody in that culture that's kind of already embedded there may not be able to easily shift in and out of. So that's why I'm saying it's kind of a blend, this like perfect storm of people in the companies. The people that work there, of course, the people that are hiring, the people that are in those executive seats and HR. And then when you bring in an expert from the outside, an outside consultant, they can sort of spearhead and guide the strategy in collaboration with all these people. And when I say stakeholders, in this sense, I mean all the people in the company. It could be anybody, any identity, any role, any, you know place in the power hierarchy can come together and build this committee. It should be a total hodgepodge of roles, ideally. And it's a good question. I mean, who owns it? I have this conversation a lot with my clients. And a lot of them, of course, decide to create a position. A client I'm working with right now, that's what I just helped them do. I helped them launch their brand new initiative. Their goals were very specific to their industry. This is a client that's in the apparel industry. And they decided to create a co-lead role. And they ended up hiring two people into the role that it's sort of like a promotion. It was on top of their regular roles and responsibilities, but they wanted to create opportunity for folks of a a certain lived experience to come in and co-create this program. So I helped my client who was, you know, the HR contact, the HR practitioner for the company, sort of coach her how to launch this program. And so then she'll kind of pass the reins two new hires to take it forward from there. It can look kind of like a pass the baton approach, extremely collaborative. And, you know, ideally, everyone would see sort of how this touches their own role, their own job, their own bottom line. You know, the sales teams need to see how it's going to help them have better conversations with prospects. You know, people on the product team need to see how it's going to help them design products that will take them farther in their career as product designers. And marketing, that's an easy one. I feel like I notice a big boom in marketers just hungry for this information and wanting to see and learn how they can create messaging and content that just is inclusive of more demographics. So ideally, every team, every department would see why this matters to them and their their bottom line and then come together. And personally, when you asked about who's the right person to lead, back when I started focusing on organizational DEI about three or four years ago, I was an account manager on a renewals team at a tech company here in Portland. And I've been working in this space for about 11 years before that, just sort of on the side. But my day job was, you know, getting renewals at this tech company. And what they did at the time, which I really loved, is they just opened a chair role. A chairperson could come and actually lead the committee, just like, you know, how it's done. And that hadn't been a thing. There was no leadership for about a year when the committee formed initially. And so when I stepped in, I just took it on. And I took it on on top of my role and took it forward, just completely unpaid. And I did that for two years. So (laughs) it's possible. It's definitely possible. Katie, I've so enjoyed this conversation. There's a lot to digest here. There's a lot of work to be done. What's the call to action for people? And also, you know, where do you want to point people to so they can consume more of your work and see what you're up to? Absolutely. Yeah. And, and Brandon, thank you so much. I love talking about this stuff. I can clearly talk about it all day. Um, <laughs> but a really good way to stay in touch with me and stay current with my work 
I'm really active on LinkedIn. You can find me there under Katie Zink. My website is katiezink.co. And that's where you can learn all about my services. And uh, you can download my guide that I uh, chatted a little bit about today for five ways to measure collective success in your organization. And then one quick thing that I wanted to share that for business leaders, for, you know, maybe if you're an entrepreneur, maybe if you are a small business owner, kind of running your own show with all of this, I just formed a new membership group that I'm focusing on kind of gauging interest for and reaching out to folks to join the group this month. And it's called the Community Call to Action. And so what that is, it's a strategy hub for visionary leaders of any identity. It was designed for people with privilege to come together and create their own anti-racist action plans. So, you know, what we talked about today was a lot of very high-level stuff and maybe not the most tangible stuff. It does take time. I mean, when we say this work is a lifetime of work, it will take a very long time to determine the right actions to take. And so my hope is that with forming groups like this, people in a position of power and privilege and with a platform can chart out their own action plans. So that's also available on my website, the Community Call to Action. Katie Zink, thanks for coming on the podcast. Thanks so much, Brandon. 